Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. And we also have Owen with us again, but he is a little preoccupied right now. Yeah, we also missed an episode again, like we said we would, because Owen has unilaterally decided that he doesn't need sleep. So that takes us a little out of our podcasting game. Today we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 10, Murder. In this episode, Michael plays a game, Jim tries to keep things on track, and Dunder Mifflin might be broke. The cold open of this episode features what we learned is a yearly martial arts seminar that is put on by Dwight where he updates the office on the development of things in the martial arts over the past year. And as Jim says, this is a 4,000-ish year old practice. So, you know, how much more new stuff could there be? And so Dwight is demonstrating on other members of the office these martial arts moves The other members reluctantly are participating in this seminar. Until Jim decides to kind of throw this thing off the rails. He tells Dwight that no one in the office is a worthy adversary for him except for Dwight himself. And so this makes Dwight like demonstrate all these moves on himself, which just gets ridiculous after a certain point. (laughs) Yes, and the way he does so is by, Jim's egging him on the whole time, but Dwight is saying, okay, first I do this, but I block it like that, but I only have two hands, so I have to absorb the blow. Like, Rain Wilson plays this out very well, and the other members of the office are filmed just sort of watching it like it's like a live show, which it basically is, I guess. This all ends with Dwight having to take the last ditch effort in order to subdue himself and he punches himself in the groin. This episode kicks off with a bit of information which comes as a surprise to not only the members of the office but us the viewing audience as well. David Wallace has sent out an email to the entire company saying there's an article in the Wall Street Journal that is basically just some conjecture and isn't anything that has been confirmed as of that point. And we learn that the Wall Street Journal article is claiming that Dunder Mifflin is going to declare bankruptcy. And if you think back to the start of the series in some season one episodes, there's talk of downsizing. So there's always been this threat that's been out there, you could say, about the health of Dunder Mifflin. Then they did incorporate the global financial crisis. But what really comes out of left field, like Curtis said, is seemingly early on in this season, there was enough work that Michael was swamped because of their absorbing of the Buffalo branch, which doesn't I guess, mean the overall health of Dunder Mifflin as a company. But it's just surprising given what 
we know this, you know, kudos that we've seen Michael get and the Scranton branch get the past two seasons, I would say. Well, that speaks to the Scranton branch itself and not necessarily the company as a whole. Sure. But as you pointed out, you know, Michael has all this work because they had to absorb the clients from the Buffalo branch. Well, that's because the Buffalo branch had to be closed for cost-saving reasons. And so I say it becomes as a surprise to us, the viewing audience, because this, as we have said on this podcast before, is a plot line that they just kind of pick and choose when to throw in and when to just kind of ignore it. Now, we have never been made to think that Dunder Mifflin is doing okay or has recovered from some of these moves that they have had to make. Including buying the Michael Scott Paper Company, by the way. True. But this is something that just kind of comes out of left field in terms of plot line because we haven't really heard anything about their financial troubles since probably the company picnic where we learned that the Buffalo and Albany branches had to be closed. Right. And so this obviously gets the members of the office into a bit of a tizzy. They aren't really sure if they're going to have jobs in the near future. And so they all get worried and it is up to Michael and Jim to kind of right the ship for the day and get people back on track and back to work. Well, that's definitely Jim's plan to keep the office focused and going. But at first, Michael's also wallowing. He's playing this sad song quite loudly from his office and just allowing everyone to sort of cluster together and talk about the rumors. And so Jim talks to Michael and says, hey, I think the best thing to do in this situation is just to put our heads down and keep working and that'll just kind of serve as a distraction to everybody and they'll they won't forget that you know this is going on but they'll at least get through the day michael though has other ideas in the cabinet thing that we see over michael's left shoulder when he is sitting at his desk is a bunch of board games because that's exactly what you need to have in your office cabinet. And Michael pulls one out and it is a murder mystery game. Yes, Michael thinks that a game will be a perfect distraction from what potentially could be bad news. Jim, however, does make one last ditch effort to dissuade Michael from starting this game. Michael counters this, however, by saying that Jim owes him this one. And it is because Jim stopped Tube City, which was Michael's plan to put hamster tubes all over the office and just have hamsters running around through them. And so Michael is really taking this give and take thing that he and Jim have established as co-managers to heart because Michael sees this as like a one-to-one thing rather than like managing styles where Jim would do it this way and Michael would do it this way. So they, instead they kind of have to meet in the middle. Whereas Michael's just like, I will have all these ideas that I want to do and you have to do some of them because give and take. 
Yeah, which can you imagine hamsters just running around? Like, who's taking care of them and who's cleaning out those tubes? Right. Gross. So Jim says, sure, I guess I owe him one, and kind of reluctantly gives in on it. And people kind of enthusiastically take to this game. Like, maybe there was some hesitancy at first. There very much was. Nobody really wanted to do it until... Besides Andy. Right. Until Pam was just like, okay, fine, I'll start this. And then, yes, after that is when people kind of get into it. Now, I will say that Michael is so dedicated to distracting the troops, so to speak, that he refuses to be called Michael the rest of the day and will only go by Caleb Crawdad, which is his character in this game. This game is called Bells, Bourbon, and Bullets. And it's a murder mystery game uh, set in Savannah. And so everyone gets a character. It's just like Clue or any other murder mystery game, I should say. And you have to figure out. Now, this game is so old that the clues are given via cassette tape. Yeah, this is one of those unfortunate relics that use the technology at the time and then pretty quickly will i can think of that is a great example of this is seen it very much so and i used to love to play that game but i don't know if a you once you play it like three times you know all the answers to all the questions yeah it's not it's finite there's only so many clues on there right and b like i don't know if you could find like DVD players are becoming like the VCRs of the 90s. So true. Where you probably couldn't find a DVD player if you really wanted one. Now, like I have an Xbox and that comes with a DVD player. But if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have one. And we have um, maybe 75 DVDs. Right. I'm I don't remember the last time that we like watched something from our DVD library. Well, during the pandemic we went through all the Harry Potter movies cuz you hadn't seen them. This is true, but we could we could do that on HBO uh, Max HBO now. HBO Max now or Peacock or whoever has it. Very true. The last time we did is when we didn't have internet when we were moving for like 3 days. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do think that that is something that there is at least a niche market out there that isn't quite covered by streaming services of if you really wanted to see a specific movie, you would have to try and figure out which streaming service it's on. Is it even on a streaming service? Do you have that streaming service? Mm -hmm. And... There's some, there is something just about being like, I want to see this thing right now. Oh, good. I have the DVD of that. Boom. Well, remember that class you took and you had to watch some old movies? Yeah. So we had to get some from the library. We had to order one yep. just because it wasn't available anywhere. And it was terrible, a terrible movie. And yeah, we donated I mean, it to the library. Yeah. And the, the syllabus specifically said, like, these are all easily available on a streaming service of some sort which they may have been at a time but netflix they change yeah yeah movies go off of netflix all the time 
So yeah, it was a little difficult to kind of round those things up. We don't learn everyone's character in this game. We know that Michael is Caleb Crawdad, a sort of playboy figure, if you will. Michael tries to play it off like, do you think I want to be this dashing playboy guy? Because Angela is upset that she's voodoo mama juju because of her kind of rigid beliefs. Pam is debutante. Aaron is Naughty Nelly. Andy plays Nelly's brother. And Dwight is the butler. I'm not sure of anybody else's character. There does seem to be some breaks in the action. For instance, Oscar comes in with an update. Yeah, there are two people that aren't really participating in this game, and it's Jim and Oscar. And Oscar comes in, like you said, with an update at one point saying that Corporate has sent out an email saying that accounting should stop payments to all vendors. And Michael interrupts him because Michael won't break character either throughout this entire show. And so Michael, as Caleb Crawdad, is acting all confused as to what Oscar is talking about. And Oscar then tries to make some analogy using like, plantations and seeds and things like that and then it's just like forget it I'm, I'm i'm done and so this kind of serves as the part that like it, it breaks up the game at large at this point because michael tries to get people back into it and he tries to play the next clue but he i think he inadvertently plays the end of the game yes and it reveals that uh, whoever was the murderer. And so people definitely... Phyllis's character, yeah. I think. And so people at this time were definitely like, okay, yeah, we don't need to do this anymore. And everyone wants to know from Oscar, like, what does it mean to stop payments to vendors? Michael is not going to let this development stop him from acting as Caleb Crawdad. He wrangles Dwight, Kevin, and Meredith the conference room, and they are playing out another murder scene and they're doing it with just very like actual crime scene investigatory equipment. Like they have the red line going into Meredith who was playing the dead body at this point. Like that's the way the bullet went in. And so Jim comes in and tries to break this up. And Michael still is resisting until eventually Jim's just like, Caleb, I need to talk to you over here. And they go into Michael is ready to dress Michael down at this point. And Michael just yells at him. He's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And he's just like, not today. We can't do this today. People just need a distraction at this point. Yeah. Michael, Michael knows exactly what he's doing. He breaks character immediately. And he says, Jim, People need this. Just let them have this stupid game. And Jim sort of sees like, okay, Michael hasn't gone crazy. He's just doing his best to give people the opportunity to not worry for just a little bit until they have more news. It is at this point that David Wallace calls the Scranton office. Michael had tried to call him earlier in the day and left a message and David is finally getting back to him. And Michael goes right back to his Caleb Crawdad character 
and tells Aaron, I don't know any David Wallace. I only know Sheriff Wallace. And if it's Sheriff Wallace, then I will talk to them. But otherwise, I won't talk to them. And so Jim's like, okay, fine, I will take the call. So Jim goes to his office, talks to David Wallace. And David Wallace says that while nothing is finalized yet, it does look like that Dunder Mifflin is going to be out of money by the end of the year. And so pretty much that confirms they will have to declare bankruptcy. Jim tries to tell David that he has a lead on a big supermarket client. And David really says he can't wrap his head around that, that yeah, keep trying, but they're still in talks. And Jim is sort of shell shocked here because this could be terrible news for everyone. If the company folds without anyone buying them out, everyone's just going to lose their job there really probably won't be much for severance or anything and that'll just be the end so jim comes out of his office and everyone's looking at him sort of wondering and says you know what's going on and jim says well i have bad news there's been another murder and so that's his way of saying and really there's not any news And that's Jim's way of seeing that Michael has the right idea here. And until they actually have something concrete, everyone could really drive themselves crazy with just speculation. There is one employee that seems to take this news of the bankruptcy a little more to heart than everybody else. And that is Andy. There is a point in the episode where a group of employees are talking, Andy included, and somebody says something along the lines of, oh, none of us are going to work together anymore. And this kind of makes Andy realize that his time with Aaron may be running kind of short. And so if he is going to pursue any sort of relationship with her, he needs to make moves now. Yes, so he decides that he's going to ask her out. He's going to ask her out on a date. He's motivated. This is an opportunity. However, he does it in his character for the game. And Aaron plays along. And so they're both talking past each other in a certain sense. And Andy thought they for sure had a date. Well, then Aaron keeps playing her character. And then as part of the game, her character is very open to dating and hooking up with anybody. And so then Andy thinks, oh God, I think I asked out Naughty Nellie and not Aaron. So when he goes to try to confirm, Aaron is still playing along. And then at the end, they both tell the camera like, oh, I thought it was a real date. So they nothing really gets settled besides that. Turns out Aaron might like Andy too. And this really sets the tone for Andy and Aaron's relationship. Oh my gosh. The rest of the series. And it is frustrating to no end because they get together or they almost get together like five or six different times for the, in the remainder of the series. And it's just one of those things where it's like, why, why, why make this storyline? Why draw this out for so long when there is no payoff of this? Like, It is, it's almost like, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, that the writers looked around and they're like, oh man, 
we and they they kind of went down this they started down this path and then they were like huh we've already had like eight other couples on this show we don't need another one so we're not gonna make andy and aaron get together despite the fact that in my opinion they are probably the most compatible or at least like each other of anybody in the entire show I feel like Dwight and Angela kind of have similar... Not really. Angela's just a weirdo, and... So is Dwight. Yeah, but, like, it's not like... I would not say that Dwight is Angela's type in the sense that Dwight is also super conservative and likes cats and things like that. Dwight is a man's man, and has a commanding presence and Angela is super into that. And so that's really all we get out of this episode. There isn't much plot that goes on. Like I am surprised that we have talked this long about an episode that basically centers around a murder mystery game. Although we do get the introduction of this bankruptcy plot line, which will lead into what becomes the major storyline of the rest of this season? I would even argue the rest of the series. So we get introduced, like you said, to Aaron and Andy, which lasts the rest of the series. And then what happens to Dunder Mifflin as the business that sort of carries through as well. Right. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. So Greg Daniels, one of the showrunners, said that the episode explored the idea that Michael is positively motivated due to his subconscious. I did not pick that up from this episode. Um, he just thought that the murder mystery game was would be a good distraction. I didn't think his subconscious was the one guiding that. So the writer that wrote this, this is his first episode that he wrote, Daniel Chun, He's, uh, he based all the character names for the murder mystery game on Southern puns, and it took him a long time to come up with all the names. So, for example, like I said, Debutante was Pam's character, and then Caleb Crawdad, because I guess there's Crawdads in this house. And the prop department made the entire game. So because they put all this time and effort into it, the producers tried to market the game at you know probably part of the office fan site on NBC.com, but it really didn't take off. In the episode, Andy explains the difference between different Southern accents. So for example, he says that Pam had more of a Florida panhandle sort of accent going rather than the Savannah and he said it's like molasses dripping out of your mouth. Well, I guess Ed Helms actually is from Savannah, Georgia. So he would know that. And that's really all I have for the annex for this episode. Curtis, do we have any firings? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's the usual, probably Michael, because he's allowing everybody in the office to not work, especially in the face of this economic crisis that Dunder Mifflin is in but I mean that's pretty par for the course so I don't think anybody gets fired this episode what is your Dundee for the episode my Dundee award is it's hard to tell when it's worth it and that 
goes to paywalls. So when they're looking at the Wall Street Journal article at first, it cuts off because you have to be a subscriber. And that happens all the time now because that's how these sites make money. And so Michael says, well, I guess we'll never know what it says. It cut off before it could even get to the part about what Dunder Mifflin was considering. And Mike and Jim's response to Michael is, are you serious? And he just puts in, I assume, his credit card information to get the entire article. Which at that juncture, I mean, again, I know they were on the computer. Like in 2009, someone could have just probably gone to like the gas station or you know, Barnes and Noble or whatever and gotten a hard copy of the Wall Street Journal. But there are often times where, for the, for example, I like the Atlantic, but you only get three free articles a month or you have to use like incognito mode or, you know, whatever. And so you have to really be judicious about which three articles you would like to read on the Atlantic if you're not a subscriber. What is your Dundee? The pushover award goes to Pam because, as usual, she's the one that gives in to Michael's terrible ideas and then everything just kind of snowballs from there and all of a sudden everybody is involved in it. And it just harkens back to the episode where Jim and Pam are on their honeymoon and Oscar is talking about how he's missing the voices of reason. And I noted on that that Pam is not included in that because she's always the one that joins in Michael's dumb ideas anyway. Yeah, she just thinks it's better to give in, basically. Yes. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Michael because he was right. The members of the office could have and needed that distraction. He led the way and kept it going, even though it was sort of a cheesy game. His enthusiasm and basic refusal to break character sort of made sure that everyone stuck with it. Who is your employee of the month? I'm taking Jim and Oscar for kind of being just the steadfast people in the in the office. It is kind of odd to me that I guess this is one of those situations where it might be a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing because we see how much time Michael makes the Scranton office waste. And yet they are the highest selling branch in the entire company. And so it's one of those things where are they that good because like they have said in the past, like they work have to work harder to make up for the time that Michael wastes for them. But if they were to just apply that whole time, would things be even better? And maybe Dunder Mifflin isn't in the position that it is now. But at the same time, I guess I also see the other side of, well, our hard work today isn't going to make a difference in what happens by the end of this decision-making process. So yeah, well, why not spend the entire day doing a murder mystery game? Sure. And as Jim said, he only slacks off when things are good. <laughs> yeah. So that does it for this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment in order to keep getting our name out there. 
We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.